Welcome to A Walk on the Wise Side. This is the sixth and final podcast in the series, and the second of two podcasts on a coming together of great mindfulnesses and of other great wisdom traditions. In these podcasts, experts from a range of great life wisdom traditions are giving you some great life answers to some great life questions. What does the human world really need now? How can your tradition or system really help people live well now? My name is Dr. Stephen McKenzie and I'm a Senior Lecturer in Psychological Sciences at the University of Melbourne. With me is Dr. Nicholas von Dam, who is also a Senior Lecturer in Psychological Sciences at the University of Melbourne. Welcome, Nicholas. Thank you, Stephen. Dr. Colin Joyce is a lecturer in the Department of Philosophy at Catholic Theological College, part of the University of Divinity. Colin founded Confluence, an interdisciplinary contemplative practice organization that works to bridge historical contemplative practices and contemporary ideas in Christianity. He's also the coordinator of Regenerative Culture for Extinction Rebellion in Victoria. Welcome, Colin. Thank you, Nicholas. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners and just to use that as a bridge to talk about the Christian contemplative traditions as being about opening the awareness to things and times and alternative histories and to talk about how the exposure to new things can actually be very helpful for experiencing and responding to the times. I'm reminded of how engagement with Indigenous cultures is a very important way of breaking the habits that we've got related to thinking about intensity and and making of money and all the various factors that have contributed to the difficulties that we're having now, not only in terms of climate, but in terms of COVID. And I'd just like to talk about the Christian practice of centering prayer, which is a practice that I do, which is really about focusing the person inwardly and opening them up to new spaces and new experiences and those places which they may not have really been open to before. And this practice is within the Christian tradition is really an attempt to turn yourself inward, to look toward the sacred as it expresses itself within you before thoughts arise and to contact that place of life, death and resurrection, which is the description of Jesus's life, death and resurrection. And The contemplative practice is really supposed to be about connecting with this type of experience that can, and by doing so, to build resilience and openness to new possibilities. So in that respect, I think in the second relationship to the second part is that the thing that the Christian traditions can contribute today is just to reiterate the need to connect to a place of life that's not denying of the the difficulties that are happening within the world not only in terms of COVID, but in climate change and other factors, and to try to find a way to to embrace these in a sense that is life-giving and life-affirming and can lead you towards acting well in the world. And Christianity, by and large, is a community practice. It's not normally associated with meditative practices. The communities normally come together to to do what they do and to, to worship and practice in, in a liturgy. But the Meditative practices of, say, Centering Prayer or John Main or other contemplative practices are really concerned with trying to help the person experience the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and also the love that's at the heart of God, of sacredness, and to find that space within them and then allow them to move out into the world out of that sacred space and space of love so that they can greet each other with kindness. Thank you for that, Colin. 
Maoli is from the school of philosophy, whose various ways to truth include the philosophy of Vedanta, unity. Welcome, Maoli. Philosophy comes from the ancient Greek word philosophia, which literally means love of wisdom. The more prominent its place in the heart, the more powerful philosophy is. Worldly life has always benefited from wisdom, and wise people have always been revered. It is said that when misery overflows in humanity, great teachers are born. Examples of such teachers are Krishna, Jesus Christ, and Gautama the Buddha. Life challenges have historically included natural disasters, such as floods, famine, and plague. And now for many, COVID-19 represents just such a challenge. Philosophy can help us experience life beyond me and mine, at one with the unity of all, a state which enables truly beneficial outcomes. Vedantic philosophy isn't just for ancient northern India where it originated. Vedanta means not to or non-dual. It lays down a path to experiencing the unity of the cosmos. Like yin and yang, we are made up of opposites, composed of universal elements, in different measures for each being. In order to experience the high reality of being complete, connected and free, we first need to let go of ideas about who we think we are. Any way forward begins with acceptance of where we are and who we are now. The perfect prayer from the Vedantic tradition, written in Sanskrit, accepts the current situation as the starting point for conscious futures. And now we have Miranda. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamodarshate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishate Om Shanti 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 That is perfect, this is perfect Perfect comes from perfect Take perfect from perfect The remainder is perfect May peace and peace and peace be everywhere Thanks Miranda Associate Professor Purusottama Bilamoria has been a pioneer in the teaching of comparative religion in Australia and inspired my interest in it as a 17-year-old undergraduate at Deakin University a very long time ago. Purusottama is a philosopher and a scholar of Indian and comparative traditions, editing and writing also on philosophy of religion, ethics and social justice. Welcome, Purusottama. Thank you. Yes, it's good to make your acquaintance after such a long time. I'm, I'm also a trained philosopher, by the way. The spread of the new coronavirus globally uh, among the young and elderly is indeed a hugely worrying thing. And as Professor Lee of UC Berkeley, a colleague of mine, Center for Economic and Demography of Aging, put it, the death toll of COVID-19 is a terrible thing, both for those who lose their lives and for their family, friends, colleagues, and all whom their lives touched. These are real people, not abstract statistics. As we work to contain this epidemic, it is important to know that we have been through such mortality crisis before. Indian religions, and I speak here of 
Hindu philosophy, Jain, Buddhist, and Sikh traditions recognize that pain and suffering are an integral part of our world, impacting living beings, and I would add the inanimate natural world as well. Humankind has faced many a calamity and upheavals through its checkered history, be they pestilence, wars, famine, wildfires, as we have frequently in Australia and in California right now, where I come from these days, or various Holocaust pandemics such as the plague and the flu in the recent past. The Hindu epic Mahabharata symbolizes many such calamities, depicted in the form of drawn-out battle between warring half-brothers, each claiming sovereign rights to the aging father's kingdom. Almost the reverse of how Albert Camus used the plague as a narrative metaphor to depict the horrors of the Nazi-carried-out holocaust of Jews and gypsies. But surprisingly, right at the moment the fighting was about to break out, the warrior Arjuna, skion of one of the clans, collapses midway in the battlefield, overcome with angst, despondency, confessing to Krishna his charioteer that his moral conscience fails his will to fight, to kill the enemies who are after all his brothers, cousins, uncles, nephews, and so forth. What does Krishna do? He does not turn around and say, hey man, you're being a sissy, a coward, you must fight. He does gesture towards that, but he pulls over and instructs Arjuna in the art of yoga. Now, yoga understood in much broader contemplative sense than the yoga on the mat we are more familiar with in the West. He teaches him metaphysics and ontology and wisdom of the holy tradition from Aeon's past, so that Arjuna is able to deal with his psychic breakdown, the immense grief that has overcome him, and confusion about his own dharma, or the rightful duty under the circumstances, and shows him the path of attaining peace, equanimity, and seeing everyone, friends, relations, and foes in the same light. Krishna explains that the grief that Arjuna feels in his bones is part of the empathy, love, caring we have for all beings, and the earth as well. This is not some kind of mental illness, even though he's feeling it as mental tension and hopelessness, so this is a moral condition. This is an exceptional teaching, which draws from the philosophical text, the Upanishads, of beholding the same self, Atman as they call it, in all beings, great and small. This makes for an ethics of alterity and the collective responsibility we have for each other as we live through the calamity, the challenges in the metaphor of the battle, recognizing that we are all interconnected in the vast web of being and becoming, that this interconnectedness is what sustains all life on earth. We are all in this together, whether we choose to see it or not, as Ella Bhatt, the founder of Seva, means service, a Gandhian woman's support group in India, puts it. So the tradition wisdom from India in this time of COVID-19 pandemic would teach us that there is a common web of humanity that is at once ecological and the sustaining power of the world. We may, as we are, move through much suffering, anger, despair, but also love and care at both the microcosmic level, that is our immediate family members, our pets and relations, and the macrocosmic level, that is in the expanding circle of our moral world, those as it were others, those affected and infected in the near and far away places who may not be visible to us. It calls for communitas, sense of community, generosity of heart, mutual tolerance, and cooperative effort on the part of all, including our public services. Every action we do in thought, word, and deed bear results somewhere in the universe. Darkness is to be countered with light. 
inner as well as institutional, as Gandhi demonstrated in his own life. Be a philosopher, sage saint, and political citizen in one sweep, here and now, echoing the Bhagavad Gita adage, which reads, When it is night for all beings, disciplined people remain wakeful. When beings are awakened, it is night time for the seeing sages. Thank you. Thank you, Parasarama. That was great. Professor Abdullah Saeed is the director of the National Centre for Contemporary Islamic Studies and the convener of Islamic Studies at the University of Melbourne. Welcome, Abdullah. COVID-19 has impacted all aspects of our life everywhere. In this time of crisis, we all need some guidance and a sense of hope. Guidance not just from the medical experts, but also from our spiritual and religious traditions. Guidance on how all of us can reignite the sense of our common humanity, how we should work together in the interests of common good, and how we should support each other in this great time of need. This guidance should be more about emphasizing what we share as human beings, how similar our concerns are, and how our vulnerabilities can be dealt with if there is cooperation and understanding. There is no room for extreme individualism or being territorial. In today's world, with so many crises, our faith traditions have become a key source of support for our well-being. Islam, the religious tradition to which I belong, teaches that we should reflect on the meaning of life and how easily it can come to an end. It teaches us to constantly be mindful of the precariousness of our existence and not to be arrogant, however powerful or resourceful any of us may be. It teaches us to embrace patience in the face of adversity. More importantly, we are asked to look at the bright side of life, the beauty around us, and to be optimistic. One of the requirements of being Muslim is that we must share what we have with others, that we should take care of each other, the neighbor, the relative, and the stranger. No one should be excluded. Only by such sharing and concern for each other, our communities can go beyond the hardships that we face. Only by extending a hand of hospitality and generosity, our communities can withstand what we are facing now. Our religion teaches us that the only way we can survive and prosper is by actively seeking peace and understanding, by cooperation, and by spreading the message of hope and love and care for all. Venerable Bom Hyun Sanim is an ordained Buddhist nun in the Korean Zen tradition. She has served since 2012 on the Religious Advisory Committee to the Australian Defence Forces. She is presently the chair of the Australian Sangha Association and volunteers as a chaplain at Western Sydney University, where she also has commenced a research doctorate into the culture and practice of chaplaincy in the Australian universities. Sanim's deep commitment is to live and learn with others who are motivated ecologically and compassionately to support each other in right relationship to the planet and all beings. Welcome, Sanim. Thank you. 
In the last few months, we've experienced fires, floods, COVID, California fires are raging in the US. We've heard the cries of pain and call for mercy from the long and deep suffering of people in the Black Lives Matter movement, in the Indigenous Lives Matter movement. We've seen unprecedented numbers of deaths in the aged care sector and a rising rate of domestic violence, which is mostly impacting, of course, on women and children. The magnitude and speed of the challenges that we're now facing are unparalleled in our lifetime. Undeniably, we're going through a process of fundamental transformation and returning to the past is impossible. The forces released during this period have set in motion a process of transformation that is clearly irreversible. So given all the challenges we're faced with, what does the world really need now? The Buddha's teaching of dependent co-origination, Parichasamupada, illustrates that once we've proceeded past a certain point in the causal chain, there is little opportunity to stop the effect of what we put into motion. So at this time, we must manage the effects as skillfully as we can. Eyes wide open. So how can my tradition, Buddhism, help people live well now? I think the most important thing at this point is to witness what's happening from a place of equanimity, to be present to it, to see clearly and to feel the pain, not to turn away from it, to manage your own distress with the many tools that Buddhism makes available to us, and to act from understanding that we're all interconnected, all interdependent. We really need each other now. Deeply considering the truth of suffering and the reason why we're suffering, the suffering of me, my, mine, the endless desire mind, greed, hatred, delusion. At this time, we need to use the tools of awareness, of presence, to know moment to moment what's arising in our own mind and in the world around us, and to bear witness to it. But most important, I believe now, is to reach out in whatever way you can to acknowledge others' suffering, both human and the suffering of all beings, and to break the silence of insularity. Thanks to all of our presenters who together have shown us a great and achievable way to life meaning, even and especially in a really challenging time, such as this one. Maybe our great life challenges are actually great life opportunities in disguise for us to deeply experience what it is that really makes us human together and discover what we really need to do or be to get out of our life discomfort zone and start really living life as we can and will. So we hope that this collection of speakers from various wisdom traditions has provided some interesting answers and questions for the problems and challenges that we face as human beings. and. I hope that it's inspired some new thinking perhaps about what we might do and how we can do it and how together we can we can face some of these challenges and as, as Stephen mentioned 
perhaps turn them into opportunities. And I would encourage you, if you found any of the particular traditions or the speakers to be inspiring, to look them up and consider reading more about the tradition they represented and to which they spoke. And perhaps to consider undertaking some of the either reading or practice within that tradition to better understand from where they're speaking. Thanks, Nicholas. And thanks, Arch Cuthbertson and Sylvie Van Wall, for producing these podcasts. Thanks to all of you who have come with us on this Walk on the Wise Side. Farewell. A Walk on the Wise Side is a University of Melbourne podcast. Dr. Stephen McKenzie is our host. Production by Sylvie Van Wall, with audio engineering and editing by Arch Cuthbertson. Music from Lee Rosevere. Our guest speakers include Melanie McKenzie and Miranda McKenzie, Sunim Bon Hyon, Purushottama Bilamoria, Cullen Joyce, Abdullah Saeed, and Dr. Nicholas Van Dam. You can find more great audio series wherever you get your podcasts or by going to unimelb.edu.au.